the gospel in your life, what Jesus has done for you. And I want to do two things this morning. I want to show something of the big picture, the fruitful in life part, and I want to show something of the, the more focused picture, the personal part of being rooted in Christ. And I want to show you that we need both of these things together. It's not either or, it's both and. And this needs to shape our lives in every way. So let's look at this question then as we think together this morning. What is the gospel? All right? Well, simply put, I've said this many times before. <laughs> I want to say it again. The gospel is good news. It is good news. It is a message. It is to be pro proclaimed. It's not good advice. The gospel doesn't come to advise us of how we need to change our lives slightly to do things a little bit better. The gospel is a radically new perspective on life, and the Bible calls it good news. We announce it. We live it out. The, the, the gospel is good news to those that are lost and broken and need salvation. I, I put it like this to you many times before. The gospel primarily announces that we need to be rescued. <laughs> we need to be rescued. We can't save ourselves. We can try and think ourselves out of trouble. We can try and behave in a good way to get ourselves out of trouble. But ultimately, the gospel says all of us need a Savior, and we need to be saved by someone outside of our, ourselves. Yes? We need to be rescued. And I've used this illustration before. Let me use it again. When someone is drowning, you don't throw them a book on how to swim and say, read on how to swim. You need to learn how to swim. What do you do? You throw a lifeline in and you rescue them. And that's a very good picture. We don't preach Jesus to get people to behave better, to live a good life, that they need a new moral code to replace the old one. We preach Jesus because all of us need to be rescued. Rescued from ourselves, rescued from our selfishness, our, our tendency to always want our way. Are you getting me this morning? We need to be rescued from that, and the one who rescues us from that is Jesus. We all need to be rescued. The gospel is good news that we can be rescued by Christ. In every area of our lives, our marriage, our parenting, what we value, our finances, it can all be redeemed and rescued because of what Jesus has done for us. That is good news. So there are two ways of looking at the gospel, and this is what I want to try and focus on this morning. Matt Chandler, another American guy who writes wonderful books, said, uses this image. The gospel from the ground or the gospel from the air. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Or um, Kevin DeYoung uses this, this um, illustration. He says the gospel is both a zoom lens and a wide-angle lens on life. I can put it another way, a third way. Uh, if you go to the next slide, please, um, the next slide. The personal view of the gospel or a cosmic view of the gospel. These three images are all saying the same thing. And I'd like to just focus a little bit on the personal view. The gospel, in other words, is good news for you and me in a personal way. Uh, the essence of the gospel, and I've said it already, is that God saves sinners. And that's how we can summarize the good news. God saves sinners. There's this wonderful story in, uh, in Acts 16. I'll just read it for you, uh, of Paul. And it says here, The jailer called for lights, rushed in, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and all of your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and immediately he and all his household were baptized. 
The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Ah, I get so encouraged when I read that story. How many of you long for your whole household to be saved? Ah, yes, I still long for some members of my family to be saved. To know Jesus for themselves, to live in a, in a relationship that is intimate and that they would know him as a good father and not what everyone else says he is, but they would experience his love and his grace and his kindness and his goodness towards them. I still long for that. And he has this amazing story. And we see it happen like that in one day, one night. Uh, I, want to, I want to be alive to see something like that in my own life. I trust it encourages you too. And here, just to summarize, God saves Sinners from his anger, from his wrath. And I, as I preach this this morning, I'm already aware that our culture doesn't like the words I'm about to use. It doesn't like these words. It doesn't like anger. It doesn't like sin. It doesn't like hell. It doesn't like any of that stuff. It says we need to present the gospel and remove all of those things because those are the things that make people really uncomfortable with the Christian me message. You know, the Christian message is so condemning. It's so unloving that you'd say anybody else is not going to spend eternity with, with, with God. It's, it's so judgmental. <laughs> My friends, we have to preach the fullness of the gospel. And this is the fullness of the gospel, that we were made for relationship with God. Revelation 4. Each of us has turned our back on Him. We chose to do that. Our sin, our rebellion arouses God's both his anger and his jealousy because he wants us to love him completely. That's what it means by the jealousy of God. He, 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 he's jealous for our, our love, our affection. He doesn't want to share our love for him with other idols like money and sex and power, these things that are idols in our lives. He says, no, I want your heart completely because I love you and I created you. And I'm a holy God. And so John 3, 36 says that we, without, uh, without a future that is in Christ, we are destined for an eternity without Him. The, Jesus, if you, if you want to do a study for yourself, go and see how many times Jesus spoke about hell in the, New, in the Gospels and the New Testament. Many, many times. And our culture is not, is not comfortable with that. We don't like to be judgmental, do we? And all of this is motivated by the love of God, His great loves for us. And the Scripture says, even when we were sinners, even when we were rebellious, even when we were dead in our sin, God loved us and called us to be with Himself. 1 Peter 3.18. And the technical word for this is atonement. The theological word is atonement. That Jesus atoned on our behalf, Hebrews 9.22. Without the shedding of blood, of sacrifice, there can be no forgiveness. And this is the bloody message of Jesus, of the cross, that there has been blood shed on our behalf that cleanses from all sin, and anyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. So what does this um, result in for you and for me? Well, there's a couple of things I'd like to use here, just three words, justification, reconciliation, and redemption. And these are really three things that are complementary images of what the, the, the blood of Christ has bought for us, what the cross has achieved for us, that we are justified, we are made right with God, we are reconciled to Him, we can know Him as a Father because we were separated from Him by sin, and we can know that He has redeemed all things, bought back all things on our behalf for us. These are three images that the Bible uses. 
So as we look at this personal view of the gospel and what it means for you and me, I want to say there are two basic enemies of the gospel, of this good news, and here they are. Legalism is a terrible enemy of the good news of Jesus. And legalism says this. It says that we have to live a holy life in order to be saved. If you are not living a holy life, you are not saved. That's what the message of legalism says. And that's why Jesus fought with the Pharisees all the time trying to get them to see that their good behavior was not the thing that God was looking for. He was looking for their hearts. He was looking for their love, their worship, their affection. And there's a theological word, antinomianism, which means anti-the law, and that is the other extreme, is that we say we don't need God at all, and we're just going to do our own thing. And antinomianism says that because we are saved, because we know Christ, it doesn't really matter how we live. You can live however you please because you're saved. So it doesn't really matter how you live. It doesn't matter how you behave, what you value, because actually your soul is saved and your soul is going to heaven. And so it doesn't really matter what you do with this body. And if you read the letter to Galatians, this is what Paul is trying to get them to see. Actually, it does matter what you do with your body. It doesn't matter how you live. Your body and your spirit are unified. We are a whole being. It's not, you can't separate the two as the Greeks like to do. And for me, legalism and licentiousness are actually non-identical twins. That's a phrase that I read. That emerge from the same womb. They are actually best seen in the parable of the pro- prodigal son. Do you know that the, both the prodigal son, the, the one that went to live with the pigs, and the old, older brother that was the legalist, they were both lost. They were just lost in different ways. And the father's heart was that they would know him as a loving father. And the legalistic older brother, what does he say at the end of the story? He says, for years I've served you, God, for, uh, my, uh, Father. For years I've, done, I've tried to do the right thing. Year after year after year, I've done the right thing for you. And you didn't even slaughter a car for me. And what does the father say to him? My son, Everything I have is yours. Didn't you know that everything that I have is yours already? You don't have to work for it. I just want you to love me. So the, elder, the, the legalistic elder brother, he was lost, just as lost as the younger brother. And what did the younger brother say? I, I, I'm not going to have anything to do with my father because all, all, all he does is, is say I need to be holy. And so I'm going to go and live my own life my own way. And I'm going to do my own thing. Both the younger brother and the older brother were equally lost and didn't really know the love of the Father. And so I conclude this um, by saying, I want to strongly emphasize, next slide please, that everyone is a legalist at heart. All of us, every one of us, tries to do the right thing. And if anything, those that are more licentiousness, that legalism is expressed in a different way, but it's still there. Those that are rebels and those that are robust, we both lost in the same way. We just don't yet know the love of the Father. Are you getting me? God wants us to know His love as a Father. That's the personal view of the cross. That's the personal view of the gospel. Can we not zoom out to wide-angle lens to use that and look at the cosmic view of the gospel? And this is that the, the, the good news is actually good news, not just for us personally, but for the whole world. This is good news for the whole world. And this is really about stuff like the planet being redeemed. 
and uh, us doing things to rescue people out of trafficking and uh, poverty and all these wonderful, noble things that God wants us to live for, all right? Here are some wonderful uh, things that you can be involved in on this little pamphlet that we're involved in as a local church. These are wide-angle things, the feed scheme, uh, going to Cambodia, all these things we've been speaking about. These are wide-angle things of how the good news is, is good news for the whole world. I know some of you are doctors. I know some of you are, are trying with your business to impact and lift people out of poverty. These are wonderful things. These are, these are expressions of the good news of Christ, that He is a hope in, through us. There's a hope for the whole world, that the whole world can be redeemed and rescued from sin and brokenness. These are wonderful things. So I'm trying to say to you that the gospel is not just personal. It's not just good news for me, but it's also good news for the world, for all of creation. And I think more Christians should be involved in environmental issues and should be involved in, in, in trying to help rescue people out of sex trafficking. Christians should be involved in things. Why? Because it's not just personally about my relationship with Jesus. It's actually that Jesus came to redeem the whole world and that his bride should be intricately involved with that. Are you getting my heart? So there's this big picture that Christ is the one who we've been waiting for so that the whole world might be made right through him. So this is the big picture of creation, fall, redemption, and the new heavens and the new earth. And I had a look at that with you when we talked about heaven, that God ultimately is going to restore all things to himself in a new heaven and a new earth, and we are going to get to live and rule and reign in the, in the kingdom that is to come. Still with me? Haven't been going too long. So here we go. So how do we hold these two things together then? This big view, cosmic view, this personal view um, of what God has done for us. Again, I'd like to quote Matt Chandler. This is what he says. The explicit gospel holds the gospel on the ground, that's his phrase, and the gospel in the air as complementary views of the same redemptive plan that God has for the world in the work of His Son. By holding these perspectives together, we do most justice to the Bible's multifaceted way of proclaiming the good news. When we don't hold them together, either by over-affirming one or dismissing the other or outright rejecting the other, we create an, an imbalance that leads to all sorts of biblical error. And so I want to put it to you that we need to hold these two in tension and that there are some things we need to understand and there are four things I'd like to just point you to this morning. There's only one gospel. Yeah? Have you heard this kind of phraseology? We preach the gospel of the kingdom. Have you heard people say that? Like the kingdom is separate from the gospel. No, no, there's only one gospel. There's only one gospel. It's good news for me and it's good news for the whole world, but there's only one gospel. Secondly, the gospel of the kingdom. And when people speak about the gospel of the kingdom, what they really mean is healing and deliverance and all those kind of things. That's what they're really talking about. The gospel of the kingdom includes the gospel of the cross. It must. Of course it does. Healing is a byproduct. It's a blessing of what Christ has purchased for us. The cross is central to anyone who gets healed. Are you with me? We don't just say we want the one without the other. No, they are the one and the same thing. There's only one gospel. To proclaim the gospel or the inauguration of the kingdom of God, in other words, the kingdom of God is at hand, and preach all the blessings that we have in this kingdom without telling people how they 
can become partakers of those blessings is to preach a gospel that is not the gospel. Are you with me? The good news of Jesus, what is purchased for us on the cross, makes healing possible, makes re re reconciliation with himself possible, makes living for others unselfishly possible. It's all because of what he's done on the cross for you and I. And so it's wrong. It's wrong to say that uh, if we declare the blessings of the kingdom, it's somehow that we're diluting the truth of the cross. We're not doing that. It's both ends. And it's also wrong to say that uh, the message of forgiveness of, of sins through the death and resurrection of Jesus is a reduction of the gospel. That if we preach that, we're somehow missing out on all the blessings. Are you, trying to, are you getting what I'm trying to say here? It's the big and the small. It's the zoom and the wide angle lens. It's the cosmic view and the personal view held together. That's what we need to see the kingdom come. Rooted, planted, fruitful. All of those together. That's the gospel. And so I'm saying, if I, uh, is this the next slide? This is what we need. We need both understandings. There are a number of dangers. If we focus on the gospel on the ground too long, if we focus with the zoom lens too long, there are a number of dangers. Here they are. Danger one. We miss God's grand mission. We miss out on God's plan for the world. We lose our understanding of God's plan for every area of our lives because we're so concerned with what God is doing for me. It's the first danger. Second danger, we begin to rationalize our faith. We give ourselves subtly to stop engaging with the world, to stop seeing the pain in the world, to stop seeing what still needs to happen and be redeemed. And we're kind of justified and rationalized and say, well, I'm okay with Jesus, and so really, I'm not really moved by the pain around me so much anymore. Are you with me? It begins to happen. I've seen that happen in my own life. And sometimes when you see lots of suffering, lots of pain, you get numb to it and you, can't in, you stop engaging with it. I want to I ask you that we keep our hearts open to the pain of the world that needs the healing touch of the living Christ. And that through our lives, we see that in some way met. What did Jesus say? When you've done this for the least of me, the least of them, a cup of water, some food, you've done it as to me. That's what Jesus said. And thirdly, if we focus with the zoom lens too, too long, what happens is we become, the gospel becomes increasingly individualistic. What does it do for me? It's, my, it's, it's all about me. It's all about meeting my needs. Church is all about meeting my needs. Where I go and get the best kind of uh, entertainment on a Sunday, that's where I go. It's all about me. And the gospel is not all about me. It's all about other people, what God wants to do through us into the lives of others. So that's the dangers that we can have, we can begin to experience if we focus with the zoom lens too long. What happens if we focus with the, the um, big angle lens too long? This, there's some other dangers there. The first is syncretism. What do I mean by that? I mean this, that we make, when we're so concentrating on, on making the world a better place, that somehow we think that's Trump's salvation. And this is, uh, this is uh, I am concerned about this in our culture. We, talk, we spoke about what different generations value a couple of uh, weeks ago, millennials and, and, and post-millennials and all, the, all these kind of groupings of people. Um, millennials are very, very, very concerned with redeeming the planet, young people. They want to see the world change, and that is a noble thing. That is a thing that needs to be applauded and given energy to. But redeeming the world, redeeming people from poverty, redeeming all of those things for Christ— 
is never at the expense of the reason for why we're doing it. Are you with me? We do it because of what Christ has done and bought for us. The two go together. And secondly, if we focus with a big angle lens too long, we can end up with a Christless gospel. When people stay in the air too long, if you'd like to use that phrase, they, they try and water down the gospel to make it more palatable. Well, let's, let's just talk about redeeming the planet. Let's just get people involved in, in taking people out of poverty. And those are noble things. But don't talk about Jesus too much. Don't talk about the blood too much. Certainly don't talk about hell too much. No, no, don't talk about those things. Because those things are, are really irritate people. They don't want to know about that stuff. It's, it's too condemning to say all that stuff. Just focus on the, the noble things that Christians do. No, we can't have that kind of gospel either. That's a Christless gospel. That is a non-gospel. We want the fullness of the gospel. And then our culture becomes the idol, doesn't it? The culture becomes the idol. The culture dictates what we should believe. And so hell must go. We don't like that bit. Penal substitution. We don't like all the stuff in Christianity about blood. That must go as well. Let's not talk about that. At the end of the day, what happens is the culture becomes at the center rather, rather than the cross at the center of all things. And believe me, I'm reading about all sorts of people that have tried to do that over many, many hundreds and hundreds of years. Just take Jesus out. Just take the miracles of Jesus out. Just take it, all that stuff out. We don't really need that to believe. Yes, we do need that to believe. <laughs> the gospel is the power of God to salvation. The power of God to transform us. The power of God comes from Christ outside of ourselves. All right. So I want to I ask you to think about some things. And once again, I am going to send these notes out by email this week that you can use them for your devotions. And if you would like to receive them, please make sure we've got your email address. And I want you to think about these things. So I'd like you to think about two things. Do you recognize the dangers from a gospel focus that is either too long on the ground, to use that phrase, or too long in the air? Can you see how that affects your life? Can you see maybe how you've been influenced more by one or by the other? Can I, can I ask you to ask God what needs to change in your own life? Perhaps need to focus more on one, not focus so much on the other. And how do you think we can best maintain this kind of balance in our church? I'd like you to think about that in this community. How can we get these two things equally important in our lives? The zoom lens, the wide-angle lens. The personal view, the cosmic view. And so I'd like to end with this. Um, two little things for us to conclude with. Kellis puts it this way. He says, because the gospel is endlessly rich, it can handle the burden of being the one main thing of a church. <laughs> I love that. You know, every year... At the beginning of the year, inevitably, churches try and realign, and they say, we're going to have a vision Sunday. And that's cool, to have vision. In one way, we might focus on some things that need to change from year to year. But in another way, the vision always stays the same. Absolutely, yes. Of course it does. The vision always stays the same. The vision is that the gospel of Jesus will be proclaimed and lived out and will continue to transform my life and transform your life so that we can see our community impacted and changed in every area of our life. Amen? And so, 
last little phrase for you to think about. A gospel-centered church is a church where every area and every ministry is focused, motivated, and empowered by the gospel. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we're aiming for in Rooted, Planted, Fruitful. That's what we're aiming for as a community, that every area of our lives, every area of ministry in this church will be focused, motivated, and empowered by the gospel. Amen. Now, I had hoped to show you a little video clip that I saw on the news this week, but we tried to load it, and it says it's no longer available on, on iTunes. Our friends from Kingsgate Church in Richmond, uh, in Kingston, who we've known for 20 years, were on, on, the, on the London News this week. And they were on, on the London News for a really cool thing. And this, for me, is a picture of the marriage of the big view and the personal view. They have a, they have a, um, a community worker who was just walking through one of the parks in, uh, in Kingston, and he saw this young couple in their 20s. They were homeless. They were living in a tent. They had been kicked out of their flat, hadn't been able to pay their, um, their rent, and so they'd been living in this tent for the last number of months. So he invited them to church. They became part of the community, the church community. Still homeless, still without a place to stay. But they wanted to get married. So what did the church, this, these, no, this for me is so beautiful. This is Christianity in action. What did the, the church, so they said, okay, well, they can't get married. They don't have any money. Okay, we, what we're going to do is we're going to help them to get married. And this was on the 6 o'clock news just yesterday. So they said, okay, we're going to raise some money. So they, they raised money for them to get married, to buy a ring. They raised enough money for them to have a, a number of months of their rent paid while they get on their feet. And on Saturday, what's today? Yes, yes, yesterday, they had the wedding. Paid for by the church. The ring, paid for by the church. The couple of months' rent, paid for by the church. Why? Well, it's the big picture. The big picture, well, we, we can see this need. We can meet that need. Why? Because we personally have been transformed by the love of Christ. And that personal love that has touched our hearts and changed our hearts, we want to engage that love and give it out to other people in practical ways. Doesn't that excite you? Come on now. Let's trust God for many stories like that. Ryan, come and share your story. Or Mandy, who's going to share your story? Where's Mandy? Did, who did you speak to? Ryan, do you want to come share your story? They had a wonderful thing in their life group. It's again, it's just people being Jesus to other people, engaging with others. Are you okay? It's a bit cold. A bit, a bit coldy, but uh, right. Are you sick? Yeah, but it's all right. Okay. We need to pray for him. He's sick. All right? But he's going to tell the story. Uh, the Lord's been doing quite a few things, uh, so I'm going to choose which one. Um, our next-door neighbor's um, mum died, I think, two weeks ago, and someone from our home group just came about and gave her a meal. And after when uh, Shirley left, um, this, this lady came up to Mandy. Her name's Rachel, and she said, I, I can't believe what's just happened. This lady doesn't even know me, and she's giving me a meal. She hasn't, she's never seen me before. And it, it touched us because that's, that's what love looks like, something. And that's it. And it, it really touched her, and she's, she's been speaking about it quite often. 
And all it is is it's just opening up a door. And we're not preaching Jesus to her. We're just loving her. But I do believe that further down the line, we'll have the opportunity to spread the gospel to her. And, yeah, we trust in it. That's it. That's really cool. Thank you. So these are very simple, practical things. Just showing love that has touched us personally to those in the community that don't yet know him. Amen? This is the gospel. We want to become increasingly a gospel-centered community, motivated by the gospel, being transformed by the gospel ourselves, living out the gospel to see our community changed, our families changed, to see this nation changed, and wherever God takes us. Amen?